You're listening to The Close-Up from the Film Society of Lincoln Center. It's June 17th, 2015. I'm Michael Odemark, one of the show's producers. On today's episode, we'll hear from the star and screenwriter of the new film Eden, the latest from French director Mia Hansen-Love. Eden was a main slate selection at the 52nd New York Film Festival last fall, and it begins its U.S. theatrical run this weekend. After that, we'll listen in on a lively Q&A from last week's sneak preview of The Wolfpack. Director Crystal Moselle and the film's subjects, the movie-obsessed Angulo family, took to the stage in our Walter Reed Theater to discuss the documentary, which has been generating buzz since it won a grand jury prize at Sundance. The Wolfpack is now playing daily here at the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Forget about New York. (laughs) Paris is much more fun. Please stay. Celebration. I'll be a DJ. One more time. We'll be rich. One more time. Do you like it? I mean, it's great to dance to, but I don't know that I would listen to it every day at home. One more time. Eden, the fourth feature from French filmmaker Mia Hansen Lowe, focuses on the rise of the French touch a type of house music that emerged in the 1990s, influenced by disco and Chicago's garage house movement. The film is based on the real-life experiences of Hanson Love's brother and co-writer Sven, who was a pioneering DJ of the French rave scene in the early 90s. It follows Paul, played by Félix de Givry, a DJ whose distinctive brand of rave music rises in popularity alongside his friends Daft Punk. Together they fall headfirst into a world of drugs, sex, and music. Film comments Violet Luca caught up with the actor and co-writer on the occasion of Eden's theatrical release. So let's go now to Violet's conversation with Felix de Givry and Sven Hansen Loeb. So, Felix, can you talk a little bit about your work with um, Pain Surprises, you know, what it is and how it played a role in the casting of this film? Um, yeah, it's um, it's something I started with my best friend four years ago. We just, yeah, we were 17 and we, we started to do some parties, basically, uh, which is kind of, um, you know, things people do when they, they're young. And um, then I went abroad and we kind of stopped. And then we, when I came back, we did a, we started a music label. And that's when I came back. That's really the moment I got casted for Eden, and um, I think it played a role in the sense that I I had a link with electronic music, and also I felt a little bit like my generation was a sort of uh, episode number two of their generation with many different layers and many different issues. Or I mean, our generation is much more anxious than their generation, but so there there was a sort of parallel and link between the two of them. So, yeah. And um, you actually got a lot of the extras from people who would go to those parties, right? Some of them, so yeah. It was yeah, it was kind of strange because I was, so I was sometimes in a club and walking through the scene and I would see some of my friends, <laughs> you know, but with, without knowing they were, they were here. Very, I mean, friends, people I know, like faces I know, that's right. And um, so this is sort of a, this is a physical performance in the sense that, you know, you were, you know, you would have to shoot party scenes. You'd, you would have to sort of like rave for like 12 hours a day. Um, how did you decompress between shoots? Would you go out and party more or what did you? Mm, actually, not really. I mean, it was kind of, it was feeling like a jet lag, you know, because we were shooting day scenes and then night scenes and switching every, I mean, but there is one time, like one of the biggest party in the film, uh, which is uh, the club called The King. We did we did the ho- the, the shooting for a whole day. So we started, let, let's say, at 7 a.m. and then we finished around 9 p.m. And I was really, I mean, I'm, I was like dead, dead, completely dead uh, because most of the time I, I was in all the shots and stuff. And I actually went home and then I went out. And I, I really like... I really said to myself, I'm really crazy. Like, I'm going to die in that place. And I went out with one of the other actors of the film, and it was, yeah. Yeah, so I did I did went out after. But uh, most of the time, I mean, I was tensed for the, whole f- for, for the whole shooting. I really didn't really decompress. I was off, like, half a morning on the whole shooting. And you're not, um, correct me if I'm wrong, you're not trained as an actor, right? 
no. Zero. So um, how did you prepare for, you know, scenes outside of a performance or raving? Like, how did you, for the sort of, because there are a lot of quiet emotional scenes in this. Um, I think it came quite naturally because with Mia, we we had a lot of time before shooting to prepare. And so we did like many, many readings. Um, most of the, like at the beginning, most of the readings, very neutral without any intentions or so just reading the text correcting things and adjusting and then she she also because of financial reasons she had to cut scenes and stuff so was i was really involved in that process and then it came really naturally you know the way like i watched other films read other book we we talk about many different things like not directly concerning the character or things and then I don't know. I arrived, and <laughs> you know, I just um, did it. What were some of the books that you read? I guess there's one which is very depressing. It's a cool. It's a um, Stig Daggerman. I don't know if you know. It's a short book called Notre Besoin de Consolation et Impossible à Rassasier. I don't know which. Do you know the English title? No. It's about a guy who, yeah, who killed himself. Not really like. No, he didn't kill himself, but he wrote the book before. I, he's Swedish, right? Swedish or Danish? Danish, and it's a really beautiful. But it's yeah, I I read that and then uh, yeah, f that's for, for the kind of depressing part. But I also read the uh, uh, one um, Patrick Mediano book, yeah, le, le Café de la Jeunesse, Perdu, I think. Yeah. Interesting. So Mia Hansen Lowe's films are sort of characterized by ellipses and this film covers an ex in a really long period of time. So how did you navigate that extensive span of time in your performance? Um, there, there is a thing um, that I'm a I'm 22-year-old, and so I feel close to the character when he's 22, you know, like the things he's living, even though I'm, I'm, I feel different from the character, so that there's a background I can find in myself. And then I know Sven nowadays, which is more around 40. And so I, I can also, I can observe, I can nurture myself from that. The the most hard thing was the kind of in-between age, which is like around 30. Uh, but I guess it doesn't really, it didn't really matter because that's really the moment where the character is lost and doesn't know where he's going. So it's kind of wandering around, you know, like, and there's a funny thing at the end of that, that sequence where he's like, really getting lost and then starting to realize he starts wearing a watch and i think that was really a sort of turning point where he starts to get into his life because i i really think it's a film about a guy who makes it like on the contrary of people saying it's a guy who didn't make it because he's in the music business and he's not getting the same success as others i think in the end he starts writing and that writing is the thing he wanted to do in his life so he he makes it although he takes a side path which is a bit long. And I think that may be a nice transition to <laughs> you, Sven. Um, so what was it like? Um, so you you do, you write full-time now? Um, yeah. Um, well, I, I don't earn my life with the writing, so, but I do a creative writing course in the university. And so, yeah, I try to write full-time, yes. And he does write full time. So, um, what was it like uh, writing a screenplay for the first time? Because that's sort of you hadn't really worked in that form previously. Yeah, it was uh, an experience, very interesting, and and but I really, I had the help of my sister because she was of course much more experienced than me. She had written three films and and several scripts, not only three but more than that. And so she knew how to do it, and she she helped me giving me directions, uh, especially in the beginning because I was I was kind of lost. And it's it's compare if you compare it to literature, it's interesting because you have to be very concise, uh, very precise, and, and like just it's, for example, if your character appear pop up in the scene, you and you want to describe it, you have to make it very short. So you have to describe someone with just like two adjectives or, or two details and like in literature you have to use that 
rule, show, no, uh, show don't tell. Mm. It's also very important in the script. So it was a, it was a good um, good experience. A bit frustrating because uh, you don't when you write a script. There's nothing about style. The only style that you ha try to have is no style, <laughs> neutral, yeah. absolutely neutral. It, and, and when you like style, it's it's a bit frustrating, but it's it's a good uh, challenge in a way. And so the f the film begins in medias res or in the middle of a rave. Uh, how did you initially get into the scene? Um, I was introduced by a friend who, who was he was a neighbor and a friend. He was older than me. He was a gay guy, uh, a bit crazy and funny, and 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 so I had some kind of admiration for him. And he he brought me to a, cl a club or a rave. Mm -hmm. Uh, and with uh, another friend, a and I, I was completely enthralled by, by the experience because it was completely fresh and new and, and almost revolutionary, and, and that's how I was the way I was introduced. And that guy died actually because he had uh, AIDS mm. years after. But it, I, it's a film is also kind of uh, memory for for me. He, I, he was supposed to be a character in the film, and you know we mm. we cut a lot of the first draft because the first draft was two scripts. Mm -hmm. So he was a character, but we had to drop it. But yeah, it was a way to memorize him also. So you say it was two scripts, so it was like, it was like really long or it was- Super long, Okay. super long. Like uh, Mia had that crazy project, ambitious idea of doing two films <laughs> <laughs> because she had too much material because when we started to work together, she started, by interviewing me for hours, like took endless notes, and and so she had so much material, and she 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 w didn't want to to drop anything. She uh, she's like that. She wanted to keep everything. So she wrote the first draft with my help a little, and, and but it was much much too long. And but so she wanted to do two films, but after a while we realized that it was impossible. Like no producer would produce two films for uh, a topic like that. Mm -hmm. So what were some of the things that you ended up cutting that you wished maybe you could have included? Uh, some scenes, we were speaking about that with Felix, like there was a part in, in, in Sweden mm. uh, where the two men, the, the, the Paul character and his friend Arnaud, they go to Sweden with another with a girl and, and it was very nice, like the scene was nice and funny, but yeah, we, we had to drop it and we, it's one of the things that we regret. And for the rest, not so much actually, because something wasn't weren't that important. I think so. Right. They still they were were they fictionalized accounts of things that did happen to you, or were they things that had actually happened to you, or just totally a mix? A mix. Okay. Some are completely invented. Some are, as you said, fictionalized like, way of s telling things that really happened. So it's it's a really a mix. Speaking of your other involvement in the film, did you directly communicate things with the art director, the people building sets to sort of recreate these clubs? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah I was I, w I was there on every stage, and I I was a uh, it was a um, all the time like communicating with the everything like the the DP the 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 art director and and they were questioning me a lot because it was very helpful for them to have me. Uh, uh, giving them tips and insights because they were trying the, the Mia what Mia wanted is to recreate as as realistically possible the uh, authentically possible uh, the, the the way it was in the past so yeah was that sort of in your in communicating with them was that sort of how maybe you got back you were you were talking before about creative writing you s a lot of that is in the way you write what you're expressing was that in your communication with them were you commuting more the feeling or the just again just sort of strictly recreating it no for first I, I think we was very simple seeing the details or concrete things mm -hmm. uh, but yeah sometimes at one point we're more trying to capture an overall feeling that just but the first thing was just details, basic right. details, you know, because uh, you have at some point you have just to fix some details. It's mm -hmm. you you can't not go away from that. So, but that we had also some conversations that were more about the 
general overall feeling of of the time of that time and because it's it's not only about the details it's also about the, the vibe yeah. we try to recreate and how did you go about choosing there are 41 tracks total in the film how mm -hmm. did you go about choosing those because i know some there was a limitation based on budget initially we choose a song for several with several uh, different aspects like uh, the, the first one would be like what else which song are really important which song really represents the time period but also the are the best of the jaw are, are anthemic of the jaw like really represent the, the jaw of course that's one of the main uh, main thing that we had to to choose but uh, the other thing was more personal which song really affects us, which songs bring us memories, which, and so that's why in the soundtrack you can get very uh, large, big songs that used to be really big and are considered as classics now, and some songs that are more not known at all, like completely underground and nobody knows, it's really like niche music, but for us it was, we wanted to put them because it, it affects us, um, it was like nice memories and things like that. For me, yeah, for me, we had several shows that were very personal. And the last thing is uh, so we made a choice for some uh, music uh, because it, w it was fitting so well to some scenes that Mia wrote and she had the music in mind. Not, not necessarily because she loved it so much, but because she thought it would be so good in that scene. And did you, did you, um, uh, did you reach out and contact other people you knew at that time to help you sort of jog your memory like your former partner or of course okay. uh, all of them uh, we tried we, we had a long time to to document ourselves long time also because the film was long to produce so we had a lot of time to do that and, and, and so I did I, I, I contact some uh, old, old friend from the past the, the nice thing that, by the way because I, I re meet some friends that I haven't seen in a very long time yeah. some of them even like 15 20 years yeah. And so it was kind of moving sometimes to do that, and and they were happy, you know, that we do do the film, and and also some people that I didn't even even know at that time, but that were important uh, to the scene, even if I didn't know them, and and so I, we also g did get in touch with them, so they g can give us also different uh, uh, insights and ideas and. Uh, things about the past. Mm. Was that sort of uh, reflected in the scene where Paul um, meets up with his old, yes, with, with yeah, his ex-girlfriend? Yeah, yeah. Was that inspired by the process of making the film or was that something that actually happened or was it sort it's of... It's something that actually uh, happened. And, but I don't, yeah, it's something that actually happened because, uh, so it was a, a, a complete memory for me, like, but doesn't really matter if it happens or not. We, I, I think it was interesting just to show that the character um, didn't really change. He stayed in the, in the same mm -hmm. time, like the time stops for him, but yeah. around him, like the people change and, and he, he has his ex-girlfriend who, who went to a kind of normal life and she has two children and life in, in uh, near the sea. And, you know. So for us, it was uh, an interesting thing to tell, to express in the film. And, but it's based on, uh, on memories. And um, I guess this is sort of a question for the both of you. You know, you were talking before that the 90s rave scene had this sort of, you know, utopian progressive element to it. And it was this idea that it was more than a party. And it was, you know, the, it's reflected in the title of the film and the zine um, that the film was named for, Eden. Um, how do you feel about the current crop of high-profile DJs like, you know, Skrillex or Deadmau5 or musicians who sort of borrow house elements? We because love I them. feel like it's all over. We, we're in love with them. Mm. <laughs> um, well, they always have been. The difference now is that they, they get bigger now. Mm -hmm. they, they get huge. They weren't so huge before, but there always have been some DJs. In, in, in all the music scene and the DJ, the club scene, there always been like the underground DJ and the mainstream DJs. And it's not really new that always existed since the, the first DJ appears. The difference now is like because of many reasons, because of internet, because um, of the time, I don't know, like the, some of them get crazy big. Yeah. You know. But 
it doesn't really what can I say it's something different mm -hmm. it's it's another world basically so but it doesn't relate to too much really to the film I mean I think it it does relate somehow because um, I think for people who are my generation or generations after the when you listen to music when you're young the subject is which kind of electronic music you're going to listen to while when in the 90s they were really pioneers the people who uh, I, I wouldn't say believe, but but like um, we're listening to this music and we're defending this music and we're going in in disc stores to buy the disc and going to the raves and 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 it was a subculture. It was like really underground. Well, nowadays uh, there's underground inside the mainstream culture, but it's a ma it became a mainstream culture. So let's say you have more more layers. While before it was one one underground layer. So I guess. What are you working on now? Um, well, so I'm finishing my studies. It's a creative uh, writing program in French. In France, I mean. And, uh, and for this uh, program, we have to have a project, a writing project. So I'm writing a novel, actually. Okay. And I did wrote also a few short stories that were published uh, in the previous uh, months uh, in some French magazine and some even some American magazines. And is the is the novel just totally fiction or sort of totally fiction, <laughs> totally fiction? Is that uh, a relief? Hardcore fiction. <laughs> like I don't want to hear about the biography anymore, <laughs> ever. Okay, and you? Um, on my yeah, uh, with my friends, we're still um, doing uh, music. We're producing. We have six artists in the label. We're we're releasing several albums this year. Uh, I also started to produce some films. Uh, I'm producing two short films in September and November. We're also launching a close company. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, that's on that side. And then I think I would like to start to write films, feature films. I think the one one of the thing that really the film brought to me, and I didn't realize it at first, but I, it's the fact that I think I want to tell stories too. And in terms of acting, I, I'll see what comes to me. Um, so far, the things that came to me were <laughs> were not the best. So, but uh, yeah, no, we'll see. Cool. Well, thank you both so much. Thanks to you. Thanks. You're listening to the close up from the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Want to experience the Film Society of Lincoln Center's rich slate of year-round programming in person? Then become a member today. Since the 1960s, the Film Society of Lincoln Center has introduced audiences to countless filmmakers from around the globe. Our extensive programming includes 5,000 screenings each year with new releases, retrospectives, special events, premieres, and annual celebrations like the prestigious New York Film Festival, New Director's New Films, Rendezvous with French Cinema, the New York Jewish Film Festival, and so much more. Supporters in their 20s and 30s can join New Wave, a membership program that provides year-round access to premieres, parties, and exclusive events. For more information about becoming a member of the Film Society, visit www.filmlink.com. The Film Society of Lincoln Center. Film lives here. The uh, landowner and us, the people who work on the land. My parents didn't encourage us to communicate with society, so we were kind of shut off. Always lived in this apartment. In the summer, there was more chance of us getting out. Sometimes we go out once a year. This is like 3D, man. It's very fresh out here. here. And at one particular year, we never got out at all. So movies opened up another world. If I didn't have movies, life would be pretty boring. This outfit is made out In the Wolf Pack, first-time feature filmmaker Crystal Moselle trains her camera on an utterly unique subject. The Angulos are a family of seven long-haired children, six boys and one girl, ages 16 to 24, who were homeschooled by their mother and forbidden from leaving their Lower East Side apartment by their withdrawn father. Growing up under such intense restriction, the brothers turned to movies as a means of escape. 
Not only did they become diehard cinephiles, they also collaborated on elaborate, meticulously staged remakes of their favorite films, such as Reservoir Dogs, The Dark Knight, and Pulp Fiction. Following a sneak preview of The Wolf Pack, Crystal Moselle joined five of the brothers and their mother Suzanne on stage in our Walter Reed Theater to discuss the film. Our associate director of programming, Florence Almuzini, moderated the talk. So let's go now to that conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Uh, I'm just going to ask a few questions to Crystal and to you, and then we're going to open it to the audience because I'm sure everybody wants to participate and join in, in the conversation. Um, the movie got a lot of press, uh, so I'm sure everybody is a little bit familiar with how the movie started. Um, so you met them in the street um, on the Lower East Side about five years ago? Yeah, I was walking down First Avenue and they ran past me through the crowd and something about them intrigued me. They had this long hair and sunglasses and they're all wearing black and I just instinctually ran after them. <laughs> that, that seems a very normal thing to do. <laughs> and I'm glad we didn't run away. Uh, at what point, um, like after talking to them, and did you decide that you wanted to make a movie um, about them or you know, how did that come about as a process? Yeah, I mean it was very organic when I met them they were you know they were excited that I was a filmmaker and they wanted to get into the business of filmmaking as Govinda said and we started hanging out at the park like looking at cameras together and then we just, I don't know, it, just, it was this natural thing that happened. You know, I, I would film them at the park, and then they asked me to come over to their house, and we, you know, I just always had a camera in hand, and eventually I was, you know, I said, I would love to, you know, document your life, um, or maybe it's like make them making a short film. That's kind of how it started. It all, it was all like, kind of, um, it was all about creativity creativity of them part and your part too. Yeah, I mean, I, they, you know, wanted to make things and I think I was a soundboard for them, you know, taking their art form to the next level because they had mm -hmm. been doing reenactments and so we were, you know, I think I initially helped them, you know, make their first short film and then we just continued to document their lives and here we are. And, and the whole process made, took about five years. So when did you know you were like ready to finish and wrap up the film? Um. Um, I think that like you know I wanted to see a transformation in my characters um, and these guys. And I think that the moment that I knew that we had like a full, you know, a full film was I think when the shot where we see Suzanne walking in the apple orchard and she goes to McQuinda. It's a beautiful moment, so it did seem like a perfect ending. Uh, also, I'm sure it was a very complex process to edit the film and you are to keep it like the end. It's really beautiful. It was. Mm -hmm. I, we, had a, we had a really wonderful editor and not CD on this project and we're very lucky. Uh, so maybe we can start talking together too. Um, when you, you met Crystal uh, and she started talking about her project, or maybe just like you know, like hanging out, did you was it considered like work for you, or what made you like inclined to be so open with her and you know show all your work, your creation in terms of film, and you know be like including her in your your family really. Uh, filming, uh, uh, Crystal filming us felt more like a hangout more than work or it was like playtime because it uh, was the whole circle of the filmmaking world. Reenactments was part of our world and uh, we recognized uh, filmmakers filming their subjects and I think we saw it as a uh, complete circle of filmmaking. It was all like a hangout really. It didn't felt like work or time to do this or time to do it. It was just hanging out most of the time and being filmed while hanging out. So it 
wasn't like, oh, Crystal is coming back. Like, we need to, like, act out or... We were glad that Crystal was coming back. We invited her over, and it was a success, our first dinner, all together. And... Uh, was it lasagna? Yes, it was lasagna. It's, it's always lasagna. As Govinda says. You want to collaborate on lasagna? You made it. Well, I was These the saucier. The saucier. It was delicious. <laughs> and um, that's because Goodfellas was a, a um, passionate movie that we were passionate about. And they've always had scenes of lasagna and Italian food. So that's where that comes from. Um, and uh, Susan, um, how did you feel like when you met Crystal? Like, were you comfortable with her and like happy to share also, you know, like your son? And when I met Crystal, it felt like uh, very natural to just let her in and and open up our home to her and our hearts to her because she was, she's quite an incredible woman, really. <laughs> you know, I have to hand it to her. And it, uh, it didn't really feel like uh, we were being filmed and it's like, okay, now, you know, we have to present ourselves in some sort of way to be on camera. It was very, very natural. And it was always just like talking. And Krista was just like a friend who would come and just be with us and hang out and have fun with everyone. Yeah. I mean, obviously you're passionate about film and you have a very interesting collection of film. Had you seen like documentaries before, like um, in your early uh, cinephilia time or were you aware about, you know, this style of filmmaking? Uh, well, earlier on, um, we did an approach documentary um, that form of cinema that came later on as we worked more with Crystal and then she started um, throwing names around like Ross Kaufman for Born in the Brothels and um, and for Crumb um, what's the guy's name? Well she started um, showing us the world of documentaries and that's when we were coming for full circle into breaking out into the world and then our knowledge was growing more and more. Um, so yeah, what do you guys think? I think you said it. Hearted, they love the heart of darkness. That was the documentary we introduced to Crystal because that was the one documentary that captivated us um, because it showed how much um, work and how hard it is to make a movie but also that passion of getting it done. So, also the sacred helpful. life of plants. Sorry. Thank you for introducing me to that. The secret life of plants. That's a good documentary. <laughs> you could come back and create a little documentary uh, section for everyone and see what uh, you start showing with them. It'd be fun. <laughs> we will do that. Are you, you still keep up with like uh, film world? Do you see a lot of movies now, or you know, like are you still just as passionate about like watching movies as also as maybe making movies? Yes, we are, and now we're always watching it in the theater. Oh yeah. We always had this little VHS and this TV, and we realized when we saw The Fighter, our first movie by David O. Russell, um, that was the way you watch movies. You're just part of this giant group of people sharing that same dream mm -hmm. and watching it in front of a giant screen that's yeah. that did it for us we we believe in the big screen and sharing with an audience that's, that's i know this favorite part. it's amazing theater <laughs> um, do you get recognized in the street now or is it like maybe sometimes or? well th that's an interesting question because now i'm working in film as a freelancer i get recognized by people who work in documentary mm -hmm. and people who work in independent film because now that they've heard about um, this movie and they've seen us in these um, news outlets, the New York Times, the LA Times, and especially IndieWire, um, that's how I get recognized so far. Well, I'm sure when you walk around together, I mean, even if you're not dressed in Reservoir Dogs, like, <laughs> you would attract attention. Uh, but as soon as the movie's gonna be playing, uh, 
you're going to have to be ready, you know. You're going to need double sunglasses, I think. <laughs> I uh, think we're ready for that, yeah. Uh, I want to know if there's anyone in the audience who wants to ask a question. Um, yes? This first question asked how the brothers are handling their newfound fame after being so isolated for so long. Great question, because this is kind of, this is kind of the stuff of dreams. When we're, we were doing all these reenactments and learning about all these movies, we also knew what happens behind the scenes and where these films go, the ceremonies and the awards, the Oscars, the Golden Globes, and the festivals, ultimately. And we were always wishing for that day to happen. So, it's here. You seem very well adjusted for people going to fame so suddenly, you know. Um, we all have example from, you know, the tabloids about kids going famous too quickly and just going crazy, so. I'm a fan of large crowds too, so. Okay. Yes? Question about favorite movies. I don't know what my favorite movie is. It could change. I have a different favorite movie every day, so it's okay if it's not the same tomorrow. This is true. I think wh when I was younger, my favorite movie was Crumb. That's a very good choice. Um, the Dark Knight. The Godfather and The Godfather Part Two. Citizen Kane. Uh, recently, it's been The Last of the Mohicans with Daniel Day-Lewis, and uh, yeah. He has really, really cool hair. <laughs> Probably the Mad Max trilogy. Awesome. Did you see the new Mad Max? Or? No, and I'm not going to. No? <laughs> we will check on that. <laughs> Everybody says it's really good. <laughs> and, and Suzanne? I would have to say, um, I cannot choose one movie, but it would probably be Jeremiah Johnson, Out of Africa, and The Sound of Music, I think. Very good. Um, yes? This is a question about the religious upbringing and influence from religion on their life. I ignored all of that. My religion is movies. <laughs> Well, uh, Dad was fascinated um, by all religions, really. Um, but the Hare, he was a Hare Krishna devotee when he met Mom, and he was joining their temples and whatnot. It sort of faded away as we got older, and he had all of us. Um, so in the beginning, he chose to have these names, um, all different names of God, but I don't think he really kept it at heart. It was just something, a foundation to go off on. Uh, it's a question about the short film that they're making in the film. The film at the end of the movie is uh, currently in editing right now. Coming out after we have time to put it together. But they have another short film that's coming out next week that they did with Vice that's pretty brilliant and beautiful. Look for it June 19th, please. <laughs> what is it called? Mirror Heart. I'm going to go for the back. Uh, yes, there. This person wondered about the SWAT team incident in the film and also about the prospect of reconnecting with their grandmother. Well, for me, the SWAT team's a funny story because probably an inside job in the apartment, um, you see these dudes with prop guns. And of course, it's going to alarm some people because um, we see it differently that we don't think we don't think anything of it growing up because that's a way of being sheltered and you don't see it as alarming as other people do so that was kind of a hilarious story they comment on the hair so they they never knew why the SWAT team came in that was they were I, I'm suspecting maybe because um, there was 
They were looking for someone else, I guess, that looks similar to us, and they broke in by mistake. They said, I'm sorry. I'm we sorry about the, that, guys. Like, Whatever. <laughs> we found it seriously funny as well. I'd like to comment about Grandma. Grandma never made it to New York City, though last weekend, I think maybe a week and a half ago, all of us flew to Michigan to meet Grandma and my whole family. So, yeah, that was great. Just, uh, it was a wonderful reunion and just an incredible connection on their part with all of their cousins and aunts and uncles and on my family's part. There were like 35 people there that came together from all over the country to meet them. So it was really wonderful. Yeah. A good change of scenery, too. Yes. Uh, did, Crystal, did you go with them? Or do you? I did yeah. go with them. Okay. So you still stay very close together. Um, I mean, obviously, now the movie is coming out, so you're going to spend a lot of time together. But the connection is strong enough that you. Yeah, yeah. Them. I'm helping them start their production company, Wolfpack Pictures. And they have a couple projects happening. They're coming out. One thing that's actually coming out tomorrow. So look out for them. So you, I would say maybe also as a filmmaker, you benefited from like meeting them. Um, I mean, it's a reciprocal. Yeah, um, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, we collaborate and they inspire me and hopefully I inspire them and I don't know. It's kind of, yeah. This is like the first, the first step to like this journey that we're going on together. So, Ver, this person wondered what their father thinks. Um, he when he saw it, he found it to be uh, honest and truthful. He gave it a thumbs up. In other words, thank you. Uh, all the way in the back there. She asked, what does fear look like now? Well, fear is not a factor anymore in our story. Um, I think we had a little bit of fear because we didn't really know what, what to expect when we first broke out. Um, I think we've done really well under the circumstances. I don't think there's any fear there. Any fear of public speaking, which is the number one? Uh, <laughs> What's that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's always said that public speaking is uh, the scariest thing you can go through to life. <laughs> so <laughs> I think you're doing really well. <laughs> I don't know. I think we did well. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to comment? Uh, I w the only thing I would say is I think uh, our fears right now. I don't know if I speak for everyone else, is probably, how do you ask a girl out? <laughs> That's the case with a lot of people, so. You can take her to the movies. <laughs> we do. At the film center. Yeah, here at the film society. We have a lot of romantic films. <laughs> we just uh, did a tribute to Robert Redford, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> For you. Fair. <laughs> um, okay, it's a question about Quentin Tarantino. Um, it, indirectly, mm -hmm. he knows about the film. He's written a few emails that we've relayed to them. So hopefully, in the future. Yeah, it'll be interesting. He, he's wa he hasn't watched the film, but he's watched some of the reenactments that I sent him like a couple of years ago. Oh. Someone on that side, yes. Did you meet anyone in um, Sundance that had influence on you? We were uh, excited and wanting to meet Robert Redford because he was the basically the one who started it all. Um, Crystal got to meet her. Got yeah, to meet him. Crystal, yeah. Got, yeah. But uh, for me, I was very excited about. Uh, uh, well, we all did meet Jonathan Nolan, uh, Christopher Nolan's brother, who wrote. Interstellar, Inception, The Dark Knight, and Memento, and 
we were really excited about that along with him. Uh, for me, I was really excited to have met uh, Greta Gerwig and Britt Marling. Okay, so you, you went for the pretty girls. Yes, <laughs> fair. This question was about the brothers' aspirations and whether they were all hoping to get into film. Well, um, me and my other brother, Glenn, are into music, rock and roll, as you can see what I'm wearing. So, yeah, that's what we're going to do. We're going to start a band. And I mean, we met my one of the idol I met was Marky Ramon. Met him the day before yesterday, jammed with him. Awesome. They did this impromptu performance with Marky Ramon. Eddie and Glenn did, and it was spot on, and it blew everybody's minds. Look for it on our Instagram. <laughs> or YouTube. Um, I'm working now in film. Um, I'm a freelance um, camera operator, and my passion is to uh, work as a cinematographer and shoot uh, large feature films. Bhagavan, what are you doing? I've been a Jiva Mukti yoga teacher for about three years now, and uh, um, for two years I have been a full-time dancer at the Hip Hop Dance Conservatory, and I am now studying to um, work as rehearsal director and one of our main uh, research facilities, which is medical research. So that's one of the things that I'm aiming for, and that's what I'm doing right now. Um, in terms of filming, if Mukunda or Govinda um, start ringing my phone in the middle of the night saying that they want to shoot something, yeah, I'll be there. Uh, I'm working at a media production company uh, on, uh, as an office and on-set PA. I do freelance work as well as an art director assistant, and I'm directing uh, short films as well with my bros and Maybe in the future, something else? Um, there was never a time where I didn't want to be a filmmaker. I still had the highest aspirations, but uh, my uh, biggest goal is to pursue film. I'm really not into digital, it's the digital revolution, so I'm hoping to go bring film back and uh, work on that medium and make features with film. But uh, alongside of that, uh, along with that, I'm still uh, passionate about being an activist. I currently work for a public advocacy group called NYPERG. You might have heard of us. Where we played a big part in the campaign that banned hydrofracking in New York State last December. So, thank you. Um, and we are currently working to uh, uh, transition New York's energy from fossil fuels to renewable energy to set a standard for the rest of the country and for the world to uh, reduce uh, global climate pollution and uh, uh, move forward to a more sustainable future to uh, where energy is uh, uh, more uh, sustainable, reliable, and uh, pollution-free and uh, more safe for all species on Earth. Well, I'm also working on human, right, human rights issues as well. So it's a question for Crystal, like when did you decide to make a movie uh, focusing on the group as opposed to individual? Um, I think that, you know, within the edit, we found that that was the best way to tell the story because um, when we're telling the backstory, it's really about them and their family. Um, also, we, you know, we had initially tried to do lower thirds on the boys, like towards the beginning of the movie, and it actually made things more confusing. And it just it seemed to flow better this way. So, but you know, when you're making a documentary, there's problems, and that was one of the problems that we had to kind of make some like big decisions about. And it seems, I, you know, I feel like it works best this way. 
So we're going to take two more questions. So yes. Uh, so it's a question about like uh, keeping the relationship in the family as well as making new uh, relationship friendships outside of the family. Well, we're always networking and making new friends, and we still hold the same passion for film, and we're sort of a film team ourselves with Crystal and her uh, team that made this movie. So our dynamic is there, and it just continues to grow as you network with different people, because it is a business of relationships, so. This question was for Suzanne, the mother, and wondered how this experience is for her. That's a very interesting question. Um, Family-wise, I, I see us growing and changing and evolving as a group of people who really love each other and care about each other and stick together and help to support each other. I've always felt that you know their support for me and my support for them. Um, and I also feel like it's a real time of empowerment also for me personally and also for them. So it's, it's really a wonderful thing that's happening. And you know, besides all of the press and the publicity and the appointments, and uh, it's a real time of empowerment that I see. So it's a wonderful evolving process, yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. The Close-Up from the Film Society of Lincoln Center is produced by Brian Brooks, Nick Kemp, and Michael Oatmark. Our opening music is by Steelism. You can subscribe to The Close-Up on iTunes and Stitcher. The Film Society of Lincoln Center is a nonprofit arts organization based in New York City supported by individuals just like you. Founded in 1969 to celebrate American and international cinema, the Film Society presents year-round programming recognizing established and emerging filmmakers, supporting important new work, and enhancing awareness, accessibility, and understanding of the moving image. To learn more about what we do and support the Film Society by becoming a member, please visit filmlink.com, F-I-L-M-L-I-N-C.com. The Film Society of Lincoln Center. Film lives here.